Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Praise be to God. Do you consider yourself a person of integrity? Is integrity something you give much thought to? I mean, what what does integrity really mean? I mean, we have, we use this word integrity, and we all have different thoughts and different meanings about it, but we need to kind of define our terms to begin the day, right? Integrity just means that you're one. To be integrity, to have integrity, to be integral is to be unified, to be one, to be whole, to be consistent in our way of life. That's what it means to have integrity. To have integrity means I consistently act in a way that is in line with what I say I believe, what I say I think, what I want to be. That's what it means to be, to, to have integrity. I keep wanting to say to be integral. That's, that's not right. Um, to have integrity. And we've been living through this pandemic for the past year and a half, and, and what happens when a virus invades our body is that the integrity of our body is then compromised, right? An illness, a a bacteria, a virus, some thing within us isn't working right. And when that happens, our body ceases to have its full integrity. It's, It's compromised. And so our immune systems have to go to work and they have to fight off viruses. They have to fight off bacteria. They have to address whatever is dysfunctional within our own bodies. We've been living through a season of life where we've been afraid of our bodies losing their integrity, of the integrity of our bodies being compromised by adding something into it that isn't supposed to be there. Imagine if your foot decided just to turn the wrong way one day. Some of y'all are living with that right now. Imagine if your hand just one day decided it wasn't going to do what your brain was telling it to do, right? It was going to act of its own accord. For some of us, we don't have to imagine these things. Our bodies do things that, that are not natural to them, or at least aren't the way that they're supposed to work. And so we deal with that. I have diabetes. My pancreas does not work in the way that it's supposed to. My body lacks integrity. Its integrity is compromised by a part of it that doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. We want our bodies to have integrity. In fact, we want the whole world to have integrity. We want the whole world to be unified and to work the way that God intended for it to. Every single person on the earth who is honest about the state of their lives and of the world recognizes that our world is broken in so many ways. It lacks integrity. Its integrity has been compromised by our sin. When God created the world originally, back in Genesis at the very beginning, God created a world of integrity. He created a garden of integrity where everything worked just as it was supposed to. And then human sin entered the picture and compromised the integrity of the garden, compromised the integrity of the earth, compromised the integrity of the mission that God had given them. We want a world that works and functions as God intended it to, but we know that our world lacks integrity. Our bodies lack integrity. Our our way of life all too often lacks integrity. 
There's one being in all of the world, there's one being in all of creation whose integrity has never been compromised. Only one person whose integrity has never once been compromised. It has remained whole from the very beginning, and that is our God. Our God, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, our three-in-one triune God has always maintained integrity. Never once has his integrity been compromised. He is whole and he is complete in and of himself. God is perfect and God is a God of integrity. So when he calls people to himself to look like him, to model him in the world, to live after his way of life, he's calling a people to be united, to be a people of integrity. Not to have our integrity compromised by some of us going off and doing this thing which is opposed to God, or doing that thing which is opposed to his plan, or doing this other thing which will perpetuate sin in the world. God calls his people to a life of integrity individually, And as a body, he calls us to be a people of integrity together. And that's what the entire book of 1 Corinthians is about. The entire book of 1 Corinthians is about the people of God living with integrity together. You see, their integrity has been compromised because Corinth is a a crazy town. Corinth is is a market center. It's a port city. And you've got people from all over the known world coming to Corinth to set up shop, to trade wares, to do business together. There are multiple pagan temples there where people can go and worship whatever deity they choose that's sanctioned within the Roman Empire. And when all of these people from all of these different backgrounds gather together in the church, they lack integrity. Because they've all been called to the gospel of Jesus. They've all been called to follow Jesus together, but they're all still living in many of their pagan practices. They're they're still following some of their ways of life prior to Jesus. And when they bring those in and they try to wed their pagan values or their worship practices now to following Jesus, they're breaking the integrity of the body of Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing in this letter to the church in Corinth. He's saying, y'all's integrity has been compromised by these things that you're allowing. Early on in the book, Paul addresses a situation where a young man is sleeping with his stepmom. And he's like, this violates the integrity of your witness. This violates the integrity of the body of Christ. You cannot be united if you think this ain't a big deal. You got to address this. And all through this letter, the Apostle Paul is addressing how to reintegrate their body, how to reintegrate the community of Jesus followers in Corinth. And his solution is not to do away with your culture. The interesting thing about the letter to Corinth is that Paul is not saying all of your cultures were bad. All of all of the things about you were bad. You need to totally wipe the slate clean and all become exactly the same. And if you're the same, then you'll maintain the integrity of your witness. You'll maintain the integrity of your body. If you would all just dress the same way, look the same way, do your hair the same way, if you would all live the same way, if you would work the same kind of jobs, if you would just do the same thing together, then your integrity would be maintained. Far from that, Paul affirms the diversity of this church. 
There's a, there's a principle within the church growth movement, came about in the 90s, that said, if you want your church to grow big and grow fast, you need to make sure that you're reaching people who are homogeneous. You're reaching people that look and do the same kinds of things. It's called the homogeneous growth principle. And it worked. People began to set up church shop, and, and it was one of the leading church growth principles of church planting and church growing in the 90s and early 2000s. Said, look, if you just target this kind of person, then your church will grow fast because people are attracted to people who are like them. And so just make sure that you're trying to reach the same kind of folks, kind of the same socioeconomic status, the same ethnicity, the same background, the same cultural practices. If you can just do that, then your church will grow. And they did. Churches grew. Discipleship was shallow. Because everybody had the same values already. Everybody already had the same culture. What, you, what this homogeneous growth principle did was just baptize a certain culture to the exclusion of other cultures and say, this is what's blessed. Like, this is what's good about you, is all this stuff that makes you the same. And Paul directly confronts that very idea here in 1 Corinthians, talking to a church in a city that is radically diverse. He affirms the diversity of the church in every way. And in these two short verses, he does just that. He affirms their diversity by saying, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Those, those simple words, those four simple categories, Paul blankets absolutely everybody in this church. Because these are the extremes of each category that he's talking about. And so he's saying, I, he's affirming the diversity of the church ethnically first. And saying, whether Jews or Greeks, you're all baptized in the same spirit. Whether you are a Jewish person who came to Jesus, or whether you're a Greek, that is basically anybody else. That's Paul's way of saying Gentile, non-Jew. Wherever you come from, whoever you are, whatever your ethnic background, whatever your religious background, wherever you come from at all, Paul says, you've been baptized into the one spirit of Christ. And he's affirming their cultural diversity. He's affirming their ethnic diversity. He's affirming all of the things that make them different and yet have brought them into the body of Jesus. And he's saying these are good things. It is not bad that you're from a different place. It's not bad whatever ethnicity you were born, whatever color skin you were born with, whatever language you speak, whatever culture you come from, whatever pagan religion you used to follow, that's okay, you've all been baptized into one spirit. And what the spirit does then is not eradicate all that stuff. The spirit sanctifies that stuff. He makes you holy. He works out what is not good. He works out the things that are opposed to Jesus and then sanctifies those things that make you you. You've heard of the colorblind principle, right? I don't see race. I don't care what color you are. I don't see your color. I hate that idea. A lot of us do. And if you're one person who says that, if, you, if you're a person who says, I don't see color, I don't see race, and you mean by that, I love you as you are regardless of your race, then, then that's, I, I, we understand where that comes from. But when you say that, when you say, I don't see color, I don't see race, you're actually denying the full humanity of other people. Because God does see your color. God sees your culture. God sees your ethnicity. He sees where you're from. 
He created you as you for a reason. And he honors you as you the way he created you. And our job in the body of Christ is not to flatten out those differences. Our job in the body of Christ is to honor them because God made you that way. Our job in the body of Christ is to see the things that make us different, that make us distinct from one another, and to call them beautiful, to honor them, to affirm the diversity in which God has built us, in which God has made us, and say, I love where you come from. I love the culture that you bring. And I love that now you're following Jesus. And the way that you're following Jesus is expressed is unique because of where you come from, because of the culture you bring to it, because of where you grew up and how you grew up. We desperately need the diversity of humanity in the body of Christ to inform the way that we follow Jesus. Because I have blind spots and you have blind spots. Every single person understands following Jesus in a slightly different way because of how we grew up because of the culture in which we were born, because of the values that were shared with us and imparted to us as children. Every single person understands following Jesus a little bit differently. And as long as those differences are in line with Scripture, then we need to honor them and learn from them. To the extent that our following Jesus is shaped by who we have become as we have grown up, and is in line with the word of God, we need to honor those ways and learn from them. I'm from a very individualistic culture, from a very individualistic southern white culture. When I come to the scripture, I see them through those lenses. I need the collectivist understanding of the scripture from my Asian brothers and sisters. I need the honor and shame understanding of Eastern cultures from my Asian brothers and sisters. I need the liberationist understanding of following Jesus from my black brothers and sisters. I need to read the Bible through the lens of other people because there is no one on this earth. There's no one on this earth who actually is a biblical Christian only. You've heard the phrase, right? The Bible says it, that settles it. The problem is you read the Bible through a lens. You're reading the Bible through the lens of however you grew up. You need those other competing lenses in order to help you understand exactly what the Scripture says. Unless you have a special insight into first century Christianity. Unless you have special insight into what it meant to be a Corinthian Christian living in the first century, you're not reading the Bible plainly. You're reading it through your cultural understanding. You're reading it through the ways that you've been shaped by the world. And we need one another's understandings in order to sharpen and shape us. That's why why some of us go to seminary and we spend hours and hours and hours understanding original context and original languages. And we spend so long studying this because our job is to go back and figure out how can I get as close to the original as possible? Right? How can I strip away all those lenses and get as far? But as much as we try, we can't get there. We can get closer through our study, but we'll never be fully there. 
We need one another's voices. And Paul affirms here the diversity of ethnicity and the diversity of culture within the Corinthian church and calls it good. Jew or Greek, you have been baptized into one spirit and we need you in the church. We need your voice. But he he doesn't stop at ethnicity and culture. Now he goes one step further, whether slave or free. This again covers a whole gamut of people from the indentured servant in the Roman household all the way up to the freed Roman citizen like Paul is himself. And there are gradations all along that spectrum. And so Paul is now saying, look, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your work status, regardless of your wealth status, regardless of of where you stand in society and what your class is, you are a valuable part of this body. You are necessary. Whether you can give two mites or whether you can give riches. Whether you can serve in you know, at the, at the pleasure of your boss or whether you are totally free to do as you please. Regardless of where you come from and regardless of your socioeconomic status, you are valued here in the church and we need you. You bring the same amount, you bring the same value to the church as anybody else. And so there's no room here to look at one another and compare one another. There's no room to look at one another, how we dress or what jobs we work or what kind of cars we drive or any of those things and value some over others. This is what the Apostle James explicitly talks against in his book, in the book of James. In his letter, he says, look, you guys are honoring some and giving them the place of honor at the head of the table and you're you're making some others sit at at the back. In fact, you guys are are eating together, and and you're dishonoring Christ in the way that you eat together. The Apostle Paul will say the same thing in 2 Corinthians, or later here in 1 Corinthians. He'll say, when you come to a meal, you guys are dishonoring one another because you're valuing some people according to what they can give and what they bring to the table, and you're dishonoring other people because they're not as wealthy. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. There's no room for that in the body of Christ. This is why in the very first church, this is why in Jerusalem at the very beginning in Acts chapter 2, we read people were bringing their possessions and laying them at the apostles' feet so the apostles could redistribute them. It was to bring equity to the church so that no one could look upon one person and value them higher because they have more to bring and look upon someone else and value them less because they have less to bring. They just said, you know what? We're not even going to bother with that. We're not even going to worry about our socioeconomic status. We're just going to bring our stuff down and lay it at the apostles' feet and let them provide. And we're not going to take credit for who brought the most or who brought the least. We're going to love and serve one another as equals, regardless of where we come from, slave or free, indentured servant or free citizen, and everything in between. This is the beauty of the book of Philemon, which we don't read enough or study enough. I would challenge you, it's one page, it'll take you five minutes to read. Go read the letter to Philemon. Philemon is all about this slave that the Apostle Paul met when he was in Rome, this guy named Onesimus, and he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, his master, and Paul entreats Philemon, when Onesimus gets there, don't punish him. In fact, I wish you wouldn't even let him be a slave anymore. Welcome him as a full brother because this is the way it is to be in the body of Christ. And so Paul is writing to this wealthy 
master Philemon and saying, even your slave is your brother, so free him and count him as equal. This was radical in this world. This was so radical in this day and time that you would have people of varying ethnicities, you'd have people of varying cultural backgrounds, you'd have people of varying pagan practices, you would have people of varying socioeconomic status, all brought into the church and all made equal. This did not happen in this world. When people talk about the Bible setting up some people above others and and baptizing gradations of people, when when people criticize the Bible as being classist or being masculine and sexist, or when they criticize the Bible, they have no clue what they're talking about. This is the most radically inclusive community that existed at the time, that honored the poorest, honored the those who had been dishonored by their culture and by their world and brought them up to the same status with the highest in the culture and said, you're equal because of Christ. You stand on equal footing, none above another. And so this crazy diverse community brought lots of problems. That's why Paul has to write this letter in the first place. This insanely diverse community caused all kinds of divisions and issues. And Paul's solution is not for them to break up. He's not like, okay, you Greeks, you can go meet in that house over there. Slaves, you guys can meet in that house over there. Uh, Free people, you guys can meet in that stadium over there because you're like the wealthiest. And he he didn't do that. And that's what we do too often in our churches. That's what we do so often in our churches. Our churches, the bigger they grow, the more programs we get, the more we segregate people. Like, okay, youth, you can go over there. If you're a teenager, you got that group. If you're over 65, you can be with those people. If you're under 40, you can hang out over here. If you don't have kids yet, you can be over here. Singles, you got this room. And we, and we break everybody up. And by that, we deny the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying we don't need peers and we don't need people to connect with who are in the same life stage as us. We do. But all too often, We create these separate little silos for people and they never talk to one another and we never cross-pollinate. And if we're ever going to walk in the way of Jesus fully and live out the beauty of the diversity of the kingdom of God, we have to unsilo and all come together and say, it doesn't matter what my life stage is. It doesn't matter what my status is outside of these walls. Here we are equal and here we are a family together. Here we walk together. And finally, there's diversity in gifting. So now he's covered the bases. He said, ethnically, culturally, socioeconomically, you're all one. We need the diversity of all of those things, but we also need the diversity of your talents and gifts. The church is not a place where one person should rise up because they're a better speaker than other people, but that's what we do. In our evangelical industrial complex world, We find the most talented speaker, we find the most gifted musicians, and we put them on a pedestal, and we say, lead us. You are the height. You are what it is. And this leads to narcissistic leaders, narcissistic pastors who build cults around themselves, and then the churches fail because they're built around the gifting of one or two people. Churches are meant to live and to work and to thrive on the gifting and the contributions of absolutely everyone. Everyone. 
There's not a single person in the sound of my voice, in this room, online, or out the door, there's not a single person whose gifting is not valuable and needed within the church. There's not a single person whose talents are not needed within this church. Whether you can preach a sermon, or you can sing a song, or you can sweep a floor, or you can pray for somebody, or you can hold the hand of someone who's struggling, or you can pay the bills of someone who can't make their own way, or you can make a meal for someone who needs some food. Whatever it is that God has gifted you and given you the ability to do, it is necessary, and it is as equal as what I am doing right now. In fact, in many cases, it's more valuable. Because I'll tell you, you sitting there and holding the hand of someone who's struggling and praying with them will mean more to them than 17 sermons I could preach. It's the love that we give, not how the love is expressed, that is of most value within the church. There's not a one of you here who isn't necessary to the thriving of the body of Christ, that isn't necessary to the thriving of Christ's community church. We need one another. We need to lead one another. We need to love one another. We need to equip and share with one another. Because without one another, we will fail. As a church, as individuals, without you speaking into my life, we will fail. My kids need your voice in their lives as much as they need mine. My wife needs your voice in her life as much as she needs mine, probably more. We need one another in all of our giftedness. However God has made you, God made you you so that you could serve him in only a way that you can. God made you you so that you could love your neighbors in a way that only you can. God crafted you. You are his masterpiece set on earth for his glory and for the good of the people around you. Hear that. If you have ever felt worthless in your life, if you've ever felt like you're not needed, if you've ever felt unwanted, today know you are God's masterpiece created in his image to serve and love as only you can. And we need you. The people around you need you. You teach us. I had a conversation this week with someone who, I, I, I just got to preface, I hate the phone. I hate the phone. I hate talking on the phone. If I don't give you a phone call, please don't be offended. I just hate the phone. I will sit face-to-face and talk all day long, right? And, and everybody right now is like getting Zoom fatigue and FaceTime fatigue, and they're tired of video meetings. I still thrive on them because I don't want a phone meeting. I can't focus on you and on what's going on. I need to see your face. I need to see your expressions because after all, like 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? So I hate the phone. But there's someone who I regularly talk to on the phone. And honestly, I dread it every time. Not because of the person. I love this person. I like our conversations. I just hate being on the phone. It gives me anxiety. And so every time this person calls, I'm like, oh, man, I got to answer the phone again. I really don't want to. And every time we have a conversation and afterward, I'm like, God, thank you for that. 
Thank you for stretching me. Thank you for using him to teach me. Thank you for using him to help me to love better, to grow, because I need his gifting to stretch me. We all need those people in our lives whose giftings stretch us, whose giftings grow us, whose giftings fill in the gaps that we can't do. I am so grateful for the elders of this church. Let me tell you, when I came, I was very straightforward with the, with the church, with the search committee and with the elders. And I said, look, I'm, I'm a good organizational leader. I'm a good preacher, I hope. Um, I can do the upfront stuff. But really, I'm, I'm kind of terrible at like visitation and like those with people I don't know. Now, if I know you, I will be at your bedside in a heartbeat. But it's really hard for me, and as it would be any of us, like just to, hey, pastor, will you go visit this person you've never met on their deathbed and like sit with them? Like there are people who like live for that. That's not me. I love you and I'll do it, but that's not me. But our elders step in and they said, okay, we understand your gifting, Brandon. We understand how you're created. We understand how you're made. We will step in and do that. And so to this day, there are people, maybe you're with us online right now. There are people who our elders have cared for, who I've met once or twice, but I know they're cared for because our elders have stepped up in their giftedness to love and care for these people that I've not. And I can, I can know, I can be confident that, that Christ Community Church is caring for its people because we have elders who are reaching out and loving and caring for these people that I haven't built a relationship with. We need those elders. We need those deacons who are serving now. We need you who have worked behind the scenes. We need that, that team that's here every Sunday morning at between 8 and 9 working to get ready. Y'all don't even know. We got a team of like, it's like 15 to 20 people on Sunday morning who show up to do stuff to get ready for this service. And if you ever want to join us at 9 o'clock in the morning, we're praying at the back. We're praying for you. We're praying for the service. We're praying over everything that's going to happen on a Sunday morning before you ever come in the door. You won't know many of their names, even as small as we are. But they're there serving and loving for you because their gifting matters. Never discount the way God has made you. Never discount the gifts that he has given you, the talents he has given you. It's valuable in the church and we need it in order to care for and love one another completely and wholly. You'll never know 90% of the stuff that Mindy back there does for you. But every, one, every bit of it is incredibly valued. And whatever you can do is incredibly valuable, whether people know your name or not. Now, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be highlighting some of the people who are serving here, and you're going to be getting to know some of our regular people and volunteers, and we're going to be putting them up there because you need to know the diversity of gifts and the diversity of talents that people are using to serve you and to care for you. And I would invite you in the coming weeks and coming months to evaluate, what, what do I do that gives me joy? What do I love to do? How has God made me, and how can I use it to serve him? You may not know how to use your gifts and talents to serve Christ or to serve Christ's community or to serve your community, but you know what you like and you know how God has made you. 
And so come and let's have a conversation about that. Let's grab coffee and talk about how you can serve in the body of Christ and how you can love your neighbors in the way that God has made you to love. Let's value the diversity of gifting among us. Let's value the diversity of talent among us, even as we value the ethnic diversity and the socioeconomic diversity and the the incredibly different ways our God has crafted each masterpiece in this room and online with us. Let's have that conversation as you move forward. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would move on you, that the Holy Spirit would move in your heart to say, I, I want to serve, I want to love, I want to care for people, I want to I give of my time and my talent in order to serve Christ. Maybe it's with Christ's community, maybe it's somewhere else. As long as it's serving the purposes of Jesus, I don't really care. But we need to get you involved and engaged in serving the body of Christ and serving our community in love because that's what God has called us to and that's what he crafted you for. And ultimately, it's what God displayed for us when he came to us as Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's that service of love and sacrifice that he calls us to and that he's equipped us for. And so when we serve, when we give of ourselves to love our neighbors, even in ways that stretch us, when I pick up the phone, even through my anxiety, in order to love a friend of mine, I am being like Jesus. When we give and we serve and we step up to love, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We are becoming more like him. That's what we should all be aiming for. Diversity as we become more like Jesus together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the diversity of faces, of stories, of cultures, of gifts that you have assembled within this church. Thank you for the ways that people are already serving and giving. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't feel a sense of guilt this morning or shame, but just a sense of motivation to love as you have loved us, to give of our time and our talents, not out of obligation or legalism or to earn your favor or to try and become better than anybody else, but simply because we love Jesus, we love his people, and we love those who don't know him yet. God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be moving in our hearts today, revealing to us the ways that we are created and crafted, the masterpiece that we are, and how you are calling us to serve and love and pursue the gospel of Jesus Christ, gospel transformation for everyone around us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.